looked out and I saw people walking by and I thought, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. And I thought I could die. And I thought oh, how sad it would be to die alone. And I put my hand through the window and just waved like that. Just hoping that somebody would come and, you know, just sit with me. You're listening to The Ticker Tapes, a podcast by the BHF. Hi, I'm Lucy Mangan, journalist, author and TV critic, and I'm delighted to be hosting the first ever series of The Ticker Tapes for the BHF. Uh, This series is all about women and their experiences of heart attacks. Uh, I had the great honour of being part of a panel discussion a few months ago where the BHF launched their campaign highlighting how too many women who have heart attacks in the UK are being let down from women who who aren't recognising the signs and symptoms of their heart attacks because it's seen as a men's thing. We've all got this classic image of the the chest being clutched and and the figure falling, you know, over like a stone to the side, Um, to women who are misdiagnosed and mistreated once they're through the hospital door um, because those myths run deep and they can affect health professionals as much as any of us. The BHF found that if women receive the same standard of care as men over a 10-year period, then 8,000 women would have been saved, which is a figure to conjure with, I'd say, at the very least. So today and in the next couple of podcasts, we're going to go behind the headlines, behind the statistics, to meet real-life women and find out what life is actually like during and after uh, a heart attack, if you're female. Just before we start that, I just want to say that we are all sitting here in the rather beautiful uh, surroundings of Champneys in Tring, uh, enjoying some lovely tea, coffee and healthier alternatives um, <laughs> around uh, this table. So if you hear the clinking of, of teacups and, and a bit of quiet, <laughs> a bit of quiet munching, uh, that's, that's what we're up to. Right, it's time to meet the ladies in question. So please, you three, say hello in turn. And introduce yourselves, tell us your age, where you come from, that sort of thing. Hello, my name's Esther Stanhope. I'm from London. I live in Spitalfields in London, in London City, run my own business. And I had a heart attack when I was 45. And uh, it started when I was traveling at the airport. And we'll go into the details of that later. But I was only 45 when I had my heart attack. Okay, so Esther. And now Carol. Hello, my name is Carol Igafosi. I'm a GP for work. I'm a mother. I do lots of voluntary, community voluntary activities and generally quite busy. I had a heart attack in January 2018 at the age of 48. I'm now 50 years old. Hi, I'm Zena Jones and I'm from Newcastle upon Tyne. I initially had a stroke in 2016 and then a heart attack in 2017. And so I took early retirement and now I do a lot of voluntary work, especially in research and um, local communities, because I'm passionate about uh, patients having the best possible care in our local communities, and especially coming from Newcastle upon Tyne. Have I already said that? Yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) Can't help myself. Sorry. It's too, really too early for us to be repeating ourselves. (laughs) We haven't even had a drink yet. Okay, so let's start, first of all, by dispelling a few myths, because I'm looking at you now, and even by virtue of the fact that you're women, um, you are, to me, unexpected victims of heart attacks. But did you have the same sort of image of of what constitutes a heart attack and what constitutes a a heart attack victim before you became one, Esther? 
Absolutely. I mean, it, it, this sounds ridiculous because my, my father did die of a heart attack in 1977, age 40. So we had we have had heart attacks looming over our family, but I'm one of six. I have four brothers. And, you know, if, if we were to sit down and say, right, guess which one of us is going to have a heart attack? I think we, we all have been mindful of cholesterol, mindful of blood pressure, mindful of bad lifestyle choices. No, you would never have sat down with us and said, she is the one, that, I'm, I'm number four out of six, by the way. You would never have... It's the like, little bouncy girl. That's yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a female. I don't look as if I'm going to keel over or have any, any health problems. And um, so I, it was me. I was the one. It wasn't anything to do with the medical profession. I just had no idea that I was having symptoms that were building up to a heart attack. I had well, no idea. So... You, I mean, um, Carol, as a GP, you presumably had a, or did you have a wider kind of understanding of of the truth behind the the myths and the images of the the heart yes. being clutched and the falling <laughs> like a stone to the floor? Yes, yes, definitely. I had a, a wider and better understanding of it. Uh, however, on a personal note, I didn't think it would happen to me, and the reason is because of what we know as uh, constitute risk factors for heart attack. I didn't have the conventional risk factors. When somebody comes to me as a GP and I want to assess their risk of having a heart attack, say in the next 10 years, we have a calculator of sorts that we put certain parameters in like age, blood pressure, ethnicity. When I did mine, I was it was less than 10% of chance. So it meant that I was expected to live well into my 80s before having a heart attack, yet I had a heart attack. So it just says to me that we know a lot, but we don't know everything. And so even though I didn't fit, I still ended up with a heart attack. But I hasten to say the fact that I was living, you know, practicing good lifestyles and was doing all of those good things stood me in good stead yes. when I did have the heart attack. That's a very good point, isn't yes. it? Yes, and I think that's why I'm doing yeah. as well as I am. No. Absolutely. I mean, the lesson is not that, oh, anyone can have a heart attack, so yeah. I should just eat, drink and smoke and be merry. Yeah. Um, the message is, <laughs> yeah. anyone can have a heart anyone attack, so we all to, better. But you, you, do, know, you need to make sure your body's in the best yeah. possible uh, position it can be to withstand it, if and when you do get it. Zina, what was your image of a heart attack before you had one? Gosh, I thought uh, older people, because my mum lived with heart disease from the age of 50. She had angina, but... As a kid, you never really associated that, you know, and it was only, and she actually lived till the age of 80 with just some um, old fashioned drugs, digoxin and um, a, a GTN tablet. And so it and never. Willpower. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> she had to keep me in line. Um, and it just never, ever crossed my mind, you know. And uh, as Carol was saying, you know, I had various episodes of breathlessness and the odd admission with chest pain, but I'd been diagnosed, or should I say misdiagnosed, with asthma. But of course now with hindsight, and I'm not blaming anybody whatsoever, with hindsight it clearly wasn't asthma, it was cardiovascular disease, but at the time it's like, oh, asthma's playing up. Mm. Yeah. So, so my image was, oh, I've, God, I've got late onset asthma, which everybody said, oh, that's rare, really. Um, but 
no, it never ever entered my mind, even with my mum's history, that what happened to me would happen. Yeah, I mean, we have you say, you know, obviously late on onset asthma is, is rare, but you still thought you had it because I think we have such a skewed idea yeah. of statistics mm. as lay people. Mm. Anyway, I mean, there's things like I learned from, from looking at the, the campaign statistics on the website, on the BHF website, the things like women are twice as likely to die from heart disease as breast cancer. But obviously it's breast cancer, quite that right, you know, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no one's criticizing yeah. breast cancer um, campaigns, but that's got the high profile, the publicity. Um, and 35,000 women have heart attacks every year in the UK, so that's 98 every day for an hour, and yet we're nowhere in the in the public image and the, the kind of cultural yeah. um, impressions you have. Yeah. I just wanted to say about the symptoms, you said asthma, you, you, you kind of had so-called asthma for 15 years. I remember I was, I was speaking at an event and I was with my sister-in-law in, in New York, and I, and I said, look, I don't think this is anything to worry about, but I've had this shortness of breath very similar to the way we yeah. described it earlier about you can't quite get Catch the oxygen it, yeah. in there. But but I've never had asthma I, and I, I was a social smoker. So, you know, I was thinking mm, my lifestyle, I'm not the fittest. And I do get the impression you're very sociable, can I? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a sociable and a, and a social smoker. <laughs> I'm with the non-smokers and the smokers. Really, it's a miracle she's made it this far. I know, it is a miracle. And, you know, and I do drink alcohol. <laughs> um, I'm quite a busy, active person. But I was in New York and my sister-in-law, I was telling my sister-in-law, look, don't worry, I, I don't think there's anything serious here. But I did think it was serious enough to mention I'm getting these a slight shortness of breath and it was intermittent that was my symptoms were very intermittent yeah. and not very strong yeah. but it, but we were having a conversation and she said oh one of my friends had a panic attack yeah it's and, and, and they were absolutely convinced and they were telling me in great detail about somebody else that they knew that had, had panic attacks was that your friends so yeah, it. my sister-in-law. Yeah. Oh yes, my friend had a no, panic okay. attack. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Shortness of breath. Oh yes, it sounds. You know, have you? Seen, maybe you should see somebody yeah. about the well, panic attack. Blue in the corner. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, I don't really think I am having a panic attack. Hmm. What am I panicking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're well, in a okay, so so but, far we've been misdiagnosed with asthma, panic attack. Um, well, but Carol, yours came more out of the blue, and you sort of. Yes. Well, tell us what tell us what happened with you. So for me, I was I was working a morning shift as a GP. I was doing telephone consultations predominantly, and I finished my morning shift at twelve thirty. My colleague came on a little chit chat whilst I was sitting at the desk, desk just before I left. I thought I had a bit of indigestion, and I was fasting because I'm a Christian, and sometimes we fast just for our spiritual upliftment, and and I was fasting, so I thought, oh. I haven't eaten, so I'm getting a bit of indigestion, which I do get from time to time if I don't eat on time, etc. So all three of you so far are very good at rationalising everything. You want to do, <laughs> do you think? Do you think that's a, do you think that's a female thing? Do you think men do, or do you think yeah, it's just a know. denial of anything happening with your health? It's like must no. be. Oh, there's always something just, else. Yeah, yeah. always something else. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I didn't think anything of it. Got in, you know, got up, got in my car, and started driving home. And okay. of course, um, another of my colleagues who is a doctor had a, a night shift and was waiting up. Instead of going to her bed, she waited up to talk to me. I since learned that it was um, she had had a bad night and she just wanted to chat about it. So as I was going home, I first of all called my husband to say I'm on my way home. And then I called my friend. Her name is 
Tracy, Dr. Tracy Benpar. <laughs> I I called I called her because I was my car has hands-free Bluetooth system. Okay. So we were all glad you clarified. We're not very heart attack conscious. We're very heavy. So I called her and I was just talking to her. And whilst I was talking to her, I realized that this indigestion thing doesn't seem to be going. I'd expect mm. not even to notice it. And I said to her, Trace, I don't usually get chest pains, but I've got this discomfort in my chest. And then I just laughed and said, I'm just telling you in case anything happens. And she was like, oh my God, Carol. And she went into doctor's mode and started asking me all the things about pain. The things, where is it? How would you describe it on a scale of one to 10? Blah, 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 all the, yes. And um, we chatted. See, that's the kind of friend you want. You yeah. want to find doctor. <laughs> I, I love that. to be on the phone as you're having yeah. a I love that. <laughs> but if you're a doctor, you're like, hang on a minute, you're going all doctor on me. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we chatted about it. But then we still, it didn't make sense. Because like I said, I didn't have any of the risk factors. I, you know, my blood pressure is normal. I don't have diabetes. My cholesterol is normal. I'm, my blood BMI is 26, which technically speaking is slightly overweight. But even to look at me, you wouldn't even think. So there wasn't anything really where I should be. So when did you so, start to believe? So as we continued talking, I realized I couldn't concentrate on what she was saying. I just suddenly realized I can't concentrate on what she, and I said, Trace, this is not right. I need to pull over. And she's like, oh my God, I'll call 999. You pull over, I'll call Simon. And I pulled over while she was calling 999, calling my husband. And as I pulled over and secured the car and or just as I was doing that, I started getting what I would call proper, proper chest, proper yeah. chest central. Like the men do it, yeah. Chest, like the yeah. men get. What was it on a scale of one to ten? <laughs> <laughs> By the time the paramedics came, it was ten. Because they ten? did ask me the question. Oh. Was it, it like was, an um, elephant? Sorry, yeah, it's ten, it mo ten is, the highest. It's ten so, for pain or for restriction or for, Well, 10 describing the, it's usually used to describe pain, but mine was a combination of pain and constriction that I was feeling. So it, it did get to that. And then I started having shortness of breath, feeling disoriented. I wanted clammy, sweaty. I wanted to lower the car window so I could get some fresh air and I couldn't work out how to do it. I was just so confused. And then I managed to do it and I I looked out and I saw people walking by and I thought, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. And I thought I could die. And I thought, oh, how sad it would be to die alone. And I put my hand through the window and just waved like that, just hoping that somebody would come and, you know, just sit with me. But of course, people are oblivious to what's happening to me and they're just going on their merry way. And um, I stayed there, but um, then I thought, the paramedics are taking a long time to come. It was probably only three minutes. I don't know where some felt like ages. So I called them myself. Mm -hmm. And by this time I felt like I was collapsing. And the kind lady stayed on the phone with me until the paramedics arrived. And I said to her, I'm a doctor. I think I'm having a heart attack. And, she, and when the paramedics came, I said the same thing to them. And they were like, oh, you doctors, you always think of the worst. Yeah. I'm going to pause you just there um, so we can all take a moment because it's quite upsetting for everyone, I think. Um, and it's, you know, such a frightening experience for you all. And um, and when Zena's had a little blow of her nose and things, um, I'm going to ask <laughs> Zena about her 
and then because then I want to come to you all about your experiences of paramedics and then getting into the hospital system because I think you all share some sort of common ground there as well with your, mm. your um, um, in terms of being taken seriously and things. So, Zena, um, talk us through your um, experiences, your symptoms, as you know, no, talk us through as you, as you experience them then. Yeah, so, gosh, what an emotional uh, moment that was. And certainly that's brought back a lot of um, memories and tears for me as well. So um, uh, I was on holiday in a different part of the country to Newcastle upon Tyne. And um, I, it was the hottest day of the year. We'd been walking, um, went out to dinner, got back to the hotel and didn't feel great. So thought, oh, and then I felt I needed to sit upright. So I sat upright and just fell asleep. And then I woke in the morning with this um, feeling of impending doom across my throat. It was absolutely not typical. I had no pain whatsoever, just this sense of some sort of doom going to happen. And then this gripping in the left side of my neck, nothing else, but I knew instinctively, I knew that I was, something was wrong, mm. that the doom was this really was different. It was yeah. very different. And um, I phoned 111. <laughs> you don't like to make a fuss. You don't like to. In the middle Impending of the doom and throat closing over, but no, yes, no. Let's not go crazy. No. And she said, uh, taught me through things and she said have you ever had uh, chest pain or anything I said no 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 fine you know got asthma but she says, does this feel like an asthma attack no 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 so we went through all of that and um, she said I'm going to send an ambulance well because of the remoteness of where I was because I won't tell you where I was because it's probably best I don't um, that um, first responders came to see me so they were firemen most times I'd think, great, two firemen in your bedroom, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say there's an upside, isn't there? There was Sometimes an upside. To, to heart disease. Gosh, yeah. So ripped. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> um, and they came and they put the ECG on and um, and then I threw up all over the place. And yeah, you know, oh, sorry, that's too graphic, I know, at this time in the morning, but I just no, fine. threw up. But we like the drama. Yeah. <laughs> And then um, I had the most overwhelming, hideous, hideous headache. And I thought at that moment I was having a stroke. I thought, oh, God, this is it. Something's popped in my head. The, 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 the headache was immediately. Um, then the paramedics turned up and said, oh, no. Did, have you been worried about anything? OK, I'm going to say something now. Anxiety and panic attacks should be the last thing that anybody is ever diagnosed with or thought of. Everything else should be ruled out first. Really important. It must be. It, it must be. Anxiety, <laughs> panic attacks. But even if I am having an anxiety attack, then it needs to be dealt with. Um, was taken to the local hospital and the ECG and my blood tests showed that I had a heart attack. And that's when I really had um i felt a, a terrible experience um 
they didn't do an angiogram for five days, even though in my notes it was thought that I could be a hot case, so be prepared to take me to theatre overnight. Um, so, and why, I, why do you think that was? Do you think they were overstretched a, or they just didn't believe you quite or a bit of both? Um, I know that one of their um, cath labs was broken, um, so they didn't have the capacity. Personally, I would have put the team from cath lab B on tonight, so you could have 24-hour coverage, the but GP they didn't. to your right is nodding furiously. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do that. Um, the lady opposite me, again, another a holiday maker, had been waiting 11 days for an angiogram. Wow. This hospital is now in CQC special measures. Gosh, I wonder why that is. Um, sorry, I, I, I feel very, um, I was traumatised by the whole yeah. experience. And so I then went into um, what I call bitch mode and I just demanded to get back to the Freeman Hospital at Newcastle upon Tyne because, you know, <laughs> uh, one of the best hospitals in the country for cardiac and I knew that I would get what I needed there. But I, I just... They put in my they put in my notes that I was overthinking things oh, and anxious. Oh. Calm okay. down, lady. Calm yes, down. you know it's like calm down, little lady. <laughs> yes, of course. You've told me I've had a heart attack, but you're not doing anything about it. You didn't even start me on the right drugs. And during all of that time, I felt every step of the way I had to fight for my life. That's how bad I felt. Yeah, I think that's probably. Carol, you've got something to say about that because, as you say, when the paramedics turned up, you're sitting there as a doctor telling them you're having a heart attack. Yeah. It's pretty hard to see how much more authoritative you can be in that situation, but they still yeah. weren't having it, were they? I think the, the first thing to start with, when they came, in my head, I'm having a heart attack. These people are going to come and they're going to get into action and, you know, sort me out. Just like the television. They were, yeah. <laughs> they were just quite, you know, nonchalant, walking, you know, casually. They came to my car and asked me to secure my car. So the windows were down. I was disoriented. I don't know how I did it, but I did. And then they asked me to walk from my car to the ambulance that was parked a little way down. If somebody's oh having a God. heart attack, you don't get them to walk and do things. You want as little work as possible for the heart. So they clearly didn't believe me from the outset. I managed to walk to the car and we got there. And it was on the way that you made the comment about you doctors thinking the, the worst. And um, so I knew and I wanted to go to Glenfield, which is the cardiac hospital in Leicester where I'm from. But because I know if I had a patient in front of me like me, that's where I'd be yeah. sending that patient. Yeah. But they did, they did start all the correct, you know, observations, et cetera, and did the ECG, which apparently didn't show the, the uh, usual changes that you would expect. And again, right. as a black person, sometimes our ECGs show some atypical things, but rather than putting that little atypical, what we call high takeoff, to a possible heart attack, because sometimes it is the first sign of a heart attack. They put it down to the fact that um, probably because it's um, black and it's a high takeoff. Right. So again, all of these little things that come in. Yeah. Um, the only thing, 
the, the decision was taken not to take me to Glenfield, but to send me to the local A&E, which was just five minutes down the road. I did, and I did go there, but during the handover, one of the things that was said to the nurse by the paramedic is, she's a doctor, she thinks she's having a heart attack. When we got there, her respiration rate was 40, but we've managed to calm her down. It is amazing how much that, that sort of cultural training, if you want to call it that, not to make a fuss and not to push for what you, you know, no. but just yeah. to accept people's imposition of other roles on you remains even under incredible duress. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to hospital and eventually they agreed with you that you are having a heart attack. Well, I think it, they, they, they agreed to an extent a few hours later because, for example, when I got there, my troponin blood test, troponin is a protein that leaks from the heart muscles when it's being damaged. And that's one of the measures that we use to check for a possible heart attack. You need to have less than five to rule out a heart attack. Mine was 252 when I got there. It can go up into the thousands. By the time I left hospital, it was over 50,000. But the fact that this is a woman who has no other reason to have troponin in her blood, because you can have it yeah. if there were other things that damaged your heart, but there was no other reason. And I'm having the symptoms that I'm describing. By the way, by this time, I'm vomiting my life yeah. out as well. Do you want to do the noises? No, 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 no. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, it's very nauseous. Everything points to rather than, yeah, so that's the reason. But it still was delayed. And I, I so I think in the end, they thought I was having, they decided, I learned that it was decided that I was in fact having a heart attack. But it was not a, a, a STEMI. It was not a total blockage. It was a partial blockage. So it was of a less urgent sort. Turned out that I was having a STEMI, which is a total blockage. Oh, oh. And I stayed in that A&E department for 14 hours before I was transferred to Glenfield. And then at Glenfield, I waited another six hours or so before I had the stent, okay. which means I've got quite significant damage to the left ventricle yeah. of my heart. So yeah. my, my little heart is not know. able to supply. It's yeah. Yes, it's broken, but I still love it. <laughs> <laughs> we love it too. <laughs> Esther, what was your experience? Well, briefly, the funny, the, the experience that I had, it was mainly me that was leading the, I'm not really having a heart attack theme, <laughs> okay. not doctors. And so I was, you know, I, a, you know, I did quite a lot of traveling. Funnily enough, when the symptoms first, the intermittent, the intermittent symptoms first came on, it was a hot day and I thought it was humidity. I was thinking, I can't quite breathe properly. Oh, it must be because of the humidity. And because I do a bit of travel because I speak at different conferences and things, it just seemed it must be something to do with travel. Maybe it is a bit of stress. Anyway, the, when, the thing that actually brought on probably the biggest leap in the symptoms was I decided to go with my sister-in-law to a CrossFit class in America, and I had mentioned to my brother I've got a slight and that's feeling. that's advised by the medical. Yeah, CrossFit. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> CrossFit. Yeah. Have you ever done CrossFit? It's, I mean, it's literally oh, the, the worst. worst. It's like army boot camp. Have you ever done a burpee? Try doing a burpee with weights. No. A burpee is when you go up and down, and that makes you feel sick. So I literally felt green and sweaty, and and when you when you said that when you were sitting in the car, Carol, uh, the way you described feeling out of sorts, suddenly feeling like. I feel strained. I can't quite. What is it? I, there's something yeah. about 
my brain isn't working or something. Yeah. But I, I didn't think I had a heart attack. I mean, I just thought I was having a turn. I thought I was unfit. Um, so <laughs> I, 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 and my brother said, why don't you go to the doctor? I said, in America, you must be joking. I said, I'm, going, I'm flying home tomorrow. I promise you I'll sort myself out. So I was okay. I, I managed to kind of breathe it off, which was, you know, if I'd known now, you know, I would have yeah. gone to the doctor. <laughs> anyway, I got all the way back to the UK. And as I was coming back from the airport, I thought if I breathe slowly, I'll be fine. And I was feeling okay, just a bit out of sorts, mm. a bit sick, a bit dizzy. And I got home and I said, look, I do feel weird. I think something is something a bit more serious. So I rang my GP surgery and said, can I see the doctor, please? I've just come back from the US. They went, okay, so have you just been on a long haul flight? Okay, tick. Have you got any chest pains? Well, yeah, I had a feeling in my chest. It was a slight squeezing check. Have you got any heart disease in your family? Yes, my father died of a heart attack. Right, go straight to the hospital. <laughs> she didn't say call an ambulance. She just said go to A&E. So I walked. I walked to A&E. How far had, was that? Like a mile. Because, yeah. you know, in London, the traffic's bad. Mm. And I, I had to stop on the way. I started getting sweaty and oh, I had to stop to breathe. And I thought, and it got worse, but it wasn't really so bad. I wasn't collapsing, but it's because I was having a, you know, my, I say the word minor, because I didn't think it was a major heart attack. Anyway, it was really the, the one of the cardiologists. And it's funny now when you're talking about your story, if you get a good doctor or good cardiologist, yeah. they will look after you. If you get a bad one, it's luck of the draw. But one particular cardiologist said, look, you need to be in the system. You, we need to get you on the queue of the angiogram, which is when they check, they put the the uh, dye in your blood so they can see it flowing through your heart. Mm -hmm. um, you need to be in the system. You need to stay. You need to be an inpatient. I said, what do you mean? You need to be in hospital. I went, no, I'm not going to stay the night, am I? Anyway, I had to stay in the hospital a week. And it wasn't until day three that they finally said, you know you're being treated for a heart attack. Because I, they didn't say the word heart attack to me. They just said, we weren't expecting your angiogram to have these results. You've had an event. I didn't say I'd had a heart attack, oh, right. so I didn't. So yeah. I, I didn't believe I did have mm. a heart attack until they told me, until they said those words, and then I thought, oh, I don't believe it. I, I, I mean, I know my dad died in 1977, but I just don't see myself, and I, I couldn't come to terms with it. Actually, yeah, can't process. Hell of a thing to process. Yeah, isn't it? it was about five or six days before I had my actual angiogram, and the stent put in. I had one stent. Yeah. So after, let's just sort of cut to a little bit after when you're back in the run of life, as it were. So you've all left hospitals and you're trying to get back to normal or the new normal or whatever, however you want to phrase it. Um, what were the immediate sort of practical impacts? Were you able to go back to work? Did you feel well enough? Zena, let's talk to you. Totally exhausted and uh, overwhelmed, really. So, um, and... As I said prior to this, I'd had a stroke the year before, so I'd already had to take early retirement. And um, but I was in the midst of doing lots of voluntary work, and I just, um, yeah, I call it my nana nap. I still have to have nana naps <laughs> in the afternoon uh, because of uh, fatigue and tiredness. That's to do with the drugs and everything else and stuff. So um, it, it was the immediately. It was the the physical. Uh, inhibitions for me, the, the exhaustion, the, the, the fatigue, then never being able to sleep enough, but then, you know, having to get up and do things to keep your heart going. Um, and, and, and 
um, not and rethinking absolutely everything yeah that was a major part so um so I put a hold on everything I was doing in terms of my um my voluntary work Carol yeah were you able to go back to work I mean because you're yeah quite physically yes yeah. yeah, so I, I had six weeks off mm-hmm. um one of the big things is before I left hospital the bag of medications that I was given because now you've got to take these for life and I wasn't somebody who took even paracetamols. So that I had to contend with. I got home because my I had such significant damage to the left side of my heart, the ventricle which pumps blood all over. It meant that I was very short of breath, very fatigued. So I struggled with that a lot. When I got home, I couldn't make the stairs in one go. I had to stop and rest and that lasted for a while. I went in the shower one morning to have a shower and I love to sing and sometimes I sing in the shower and I just thought, I thought oh, I'll sing as you do. And I realized I couldn't sing whilst I was having a shower. It was just too much. Mm. I was having to sleep with five pillows to start with because I was so breathless. And one of the reasons, one of the times that I knew I was getting better, is a simple thing. I went upstairs, that's weeks later, laid on my bed, and I could lie in any position I wanted. I didn't have to be upright with it. I just got on my bed and just lied and I thought, oh, it's something that you took Something's for granted. But yes, I, I went back to work six weeks later, but I've right. cut down on my hours significantly. I'm doing about a third of what I normally do. Mm. But being a doctor is a good thing. And one of the things that you, you, you have the advantage of doing is to be able to choose your hours if you need to. And I've been able to do that. Yeah, and, and still practice. Sort of, but, yeah. sort of note that, that mm. in a sense, you're very lucky in that um, for lots of people, a, you know, a life-changing event like this will also have incredible impacts on their finances. Still and their, does. You know, well, yes, <laughs> still but, does. Um, if you're already yeah. kind of yeah. on the brink, yeah. it can be yeah, you know, it could just be yeah, appalling. tip you over totally. Yeah, yeah, Esther. Yeah. Well, I was because I was clearly thinking, well, this isn't that serious, you know. Um, and they said, oh yeah, you'll be fine after a cent, after a week. So all I'd done was move all of my appointments. I had to speak in these big city with my clients in the city, with bankers and lawyers. I had conferences, I had masterclasses, and I'm a confidence speaker, and I'm, I'm full of energy when I'm normally delivering my masterclasses. And literally two weeks later, because I'd moved my, just moved all my appointments, because they didn't say, you will be, feel ta- you will feel awful seriously really take six weeks off they said you'll be fine after a week so I didn't really I didn't realize how tired I'd be and I tried to carry on as normal I run my own business I couldn't let my business collapse financially it just wasn't really an option but I, I even did things like I tried to I took some high heel shoes one day to run this master class in front of 30 people and I was so tired I was probably dripping in sweat I had to go into the the loo and just kind of take a breather. And I was thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I kind of had to come to terms with the fact that, well, it's not surprising, is it, really? Mm. But what am I going to do? I can't not run my business. What am I going to do? That's and the thing, isn't it? It's the, all the impacts of the, you know, because not only does your, you know, you suddenly have this new image of yourself as someone whose mm. body can fail at any point. Yeah. You also have, that, um, you know, other massive kind of, definitional part of you which is your work your job and it's suddenly everything is affected Mm -hmm. 
We're going to look at um, sort of the emotional and the mental impact of that in later episodes. Um, but for now, thank you very much for your incredible stories. Um, and please, listeners, join us for part two when we'll be continuing this conversation about what life is really like after a heart attack and looking particularly at how relationships are affected, whether that's with your partner or your children or your friends. And it promises to be as fascinating and revealing as this one has been. So please do join us for that. And ladies, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Ticker Tapes. If you would like any more information about the BHF's campaign and the heart attack gender gap, or if you want to know the signs, symptoms and risk factors to be aware of, then please visit bhf.org.uk forward slash women.